I've pulled the mic closer and turned the gain down. You know what I'm saying? So I'm getting less like ambient noise. That's a little podcast tip for everybody out there. Maybe I'm going to make a shirt that says that. Have the mic closer and the gain turned down. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have a little bit of fun along the way. I am, as always, joined by my faithful colleague, co-host, Chris Boyer, and you can find him online on Twitter, primarily, at Chris Boyer, his website, ChristopherBoyer.com, and many of the other social channels out there, LinkedIn, Snapchat, etc. Chris, how's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Nice to be joined t- today by you, the second half of the Directionless Duo. We are, that is Reed Smith on that end. Um, Reed is a social media and digital marketing expert and works with hospitals and health systems across the country. You can find him online at his handle at Reed Smith on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, on whatever it might be that's out there. He's on LinkedIn and you and his website which everyone should go and join and visit is uh, socialhealthinstitute.com. Hey, Reed, before we yes. get started today, um, yes. I, I, we want to give a, a special shout out to our sponsor, Transparently. You know, every day, Reed, millions of people, patients, are looking online for information about their healthcare provider. And if organizations use Transparently's voice of customer platform, they'll get the tools they need to amplify the feedback their patients are already giving and gather answers to new questions that, that the hospital should be asking. So if we ask our listeners to visit transparently.com to learn a little bit more. Yeah, that would be great. Very, very uh, thankful to have them as uh, part of the family on the podcast these days. And um, yeah, been a great supporter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, why don't we get into our topic, which of course when everybody who's downloaded already knows what it is. But today's topic is we're going to be talking about building a unified content strategy. That sounds complicated. It does sound complicated. And before we try to unpack that and make that a little less complicated, I think someone might say to us, wait a second, this is like your third or fourth episode about content. And aren't you a digital marketing podcast? Content is king. Isn't that what everybody says? Something like that? Is that still a thing? So this is one of those things that, um, you know, in all honesty, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. If the content's good enough, it will be successful. That's what I've found. Whether that is uh, Facebook ads, writing blog posts, creating videos, and I'm not discounting the quality of those efforts or that there's not you know, technically ways to execute those more effectively or measure or target and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, But when it comes down to it, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, if the content uh, doesn't hold up, not really going to do a whole lot of good at the end of the day. So 
That's right. And like, what's good? What good is, let's say, a marketing automation program if you don't have any content to, to fuel it, and you have to use your content the right way, or or an email program, or an, a social media platform with no content. Heck, even a website with no content, we probably could call that a cop website because there's nothing there. You need content to fuel these channels and actually see some of the value of the channels. Yeah, and, and those that do not have good content, um, not that they can't achieve good numbers, but I look at that a lot of times as uh, artificial wins. You can buy, you, you know, you can buy traffic. So SEM efforts, for example, to your website or whatever it may be, you can get people there. But again, if the content's not good enough or the uh, the benefit to the consumer is not good enough, you're going to have a hard time sustaining that over a period of time and are having anything really meaningful come out of it. Today, though, we're going to kind of dive into that complex topic about a unified content strategy, which really, let, let's break it down a little bit about what that means. You know, when you look at a hospital or health system or, or physician practice or even vendors that are out there that are working on creating good content, in any typical organization, there's multiple different people that actually are responsible for content, from designing, creating, managing, distributing. Virtually every department within an organization, I would say, touches content in some way, shape, or form. Like you said, we talked a lot about content. If everybody is creating that, what we're talking about today, in essence, is is, is how are you pulling all of those efforts into um, a succinct I guess, delivery of that content. So making sure everybody is, you know, rowing the same direction. Yeah. When you say rowing the same direction in terms of content, that means you're creating content that's kind of consistent in tone and in, in voice in messaging. And, and, and again, not saying that every audience has the same messages, but you, what you're trying to do, like you said, right, rowing in the same direction, making sure when content is created, that it's moving towards sort of that universal, larger scale message of what your organization is trying to say. So really that that all goes back to your overall brand efforts. I would say in part it does, right? In part it does. It, and your brand can be built upon the, the authority, the, the, tech, the clinical expertise that you have. Maybe mm-hmm. your, whatever the, the brand messaging is, it could be around convenience, high-end care, high-end touch care. It could be a variety of different things. Your, whatever that larger brand is and then all your sub-branded information, all of that should work towards a specific unified approach, which is ultimately to promote your hospital or your health system or, or whatever your organization is. Why are we not doing this now? Like, What's typically the issue? It's funny, Reed. We can ask ourselves this about like almost every podcast we do, right? What's the, at the root of our issue is a we got a lot to do, and b we we did a, we've done a pretty good job building silos in an organization mm-hmm. because we're so busy. It's so hard to you know cross collaborate. It's so hard to let's say for example when we're looking in a hospital and a hospital system, think about all the different people out there that are maybe actively generating content to address audiences. You got marketing your internal communication people, the media relation people, the PR people. I feel like some of the problem is, is we don't do a good job identifying the existing content streams. I mean, so let's, let's think about all of those, where all those different content is coming from. Uh, again, so I mentioned all the people that are sort of in the marketing communication department, right? Marketing, right. internal comm, media PR. But what about going outside of that? Like what are some other areas in, in a hospital 
or uh, that are basically creating content? Yeah, I think one is like uh, human resources. So, I mean, you know, they're sending information, uh, messaging content, if you will, to, um, you know, everyone internally you know, uh, or all, all your staff members, uh, full-time, part-time, sometimes contract labor, whatever it may be. So that could be hundreds and in a lot of cases, thousands of people. Also, um, people that are doing patient education, typically not, not within marketing and communication. What they're responsible for is creating information and education for uh, existing patients, maybe potential patients, and cr- creating that content, you know, those handouts that you get when you go to the doctor and all of those things, all of that stuff that becomes really important to help manage their ca- the care cycle. That's another outreach that touches a lot of people. And similar to, I'm kind of on the internal train here, but similar to human resources, yet different, I guess, would be those like in nurse recruitment or or recruitment in general, you know, so maybe that they're recruiting allied health, maybe it's physicians, maybe it's nurses. Uh, We usually don't have recruiters for some of the other types of jobs, maybe some management positions or whatnot. But, you know, those are folks that are telling a story to and trying to convince somebody to come work at this organization. I can think about, you know, with the, with the huge nursing shortage that exists, for example, um, you know, they're either trying to sell the organization, the community, both, you know, whatever it is, lifestyle versus, you know, working, you know, the more the clinical sell point, I guess. Um, so those are some folks that are creating a fair amount of content. Let's think of another audience, uh, the, the, provi- the physicians and the providers, either yep. employed physicians or outside physicians. So you have a, a variety of people that may be reaching out to them. You have the physician liaison folks or the physician relationship people folks. Those mm-hmm. are people that are kind of talking, advocating about some of the things that your hospital or health system can provide to them. You have, uh, in the same vein, you might even have your institutes, your your service lines, sharing information with them about quality outcomes, clinical outcomes, that sort of thing, and maybe even creating those sort of the annual report of how your heart center does or, or what have you, and distributing that. Kind of in that same in that same vein, um, you've got folks uh, creating content for continuing medical education, continuing nursing education, but there's different types of education, uh, even new employee orientation. Again, you know, kind of in the HR space. But again, a lot of a lot of content being created there that, from a marketing perspective, could be obviously repurposed. Well, so um, if you're creating maybe a provider-sponsored health plan or a clinically integrated network, so now now you're starting to communicate to covered lives, like members of your covered lives and physicians and the physician communities, trying to get them to be part of or affiliated with your your CIN or, or what have you. That's another way that we're reaching out to different audiences. Yep. Uh, one that I can think of, maybe not everybody has, but I would say a fair amount of people do, whether it's a formal position with the organization or not, I don't know. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, a little bit different than say like community outreach, but it's in, it, like your employer strategy. So you've got somebody that's going and calling on all the large employers in town and providing resources to those folks around wellness uh, and things like that, or or even screenings. You know, I can think about uh, like you know, digital mammography is a good example, uh, or different sort of heart screenings and things like that that they're providing to these employers, uh, wellness options, etc. What about uh, in some organizations, they may have government or regulatory outreach where they're trying to mm-hmm. work with you know to to pass different types of legislation, maybe at the state level, uh, maybe at a regional level, or even at a local level. 
that's another outreach, um, you know, where they're working with with those organizations. Yeah, true advocacy work. Yeah, absolutely. And especially that's obviously top of mind right now with everything, you know, healthcare law related that you see in the uh, in the national news and as well as like probably state level uh, news. And so those are important roles within within many organizations. And then, you know, a lot of organizations have the foundation component or, you know, kind of philanthropy piece there where they're maybe they're a fundraising organization. Maybe they're a fund giving organization, maybe some of both. But, you know, kind of that foundation component and even those foundation partners in the community that they're funding or help give funding to. You know, that's that's a lot of different content, a really interesting message uh, in a lot of cases. I'm sure there's plenty of others that maybe we're, we're forgetting or maybe not really thinking top of mind here. But the but the point here is that every one of these audience types that we, we talk about, there's a distinctive need that we're trying to address a specific purpose. And yet all of those are content that your organization is creating. A unified content strategy, developing sort of that master content plan to rule them all, it might seem unattainable. Yeah, it's tough, man. I, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of content calendars that have been created through the years using Excel, Google Docs, or proprietary tools or licensed tools, software, you know, SaaS products and things like that. And man, I mean, like, how do you keep up with that stuff? How do you plan far enough ahead? I, we, we just rattled off, I don't know, a dozen or more parts of the organization. That doesn't even include the actual people and or content streams within those parts of the organization. You know, how do you plan and get all that in one place um, is tough. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, at least my recommendation would be is to look at the overall organization's growth strategies and what the priorities are. Uh, obviously start there. But, uh, you know, even before Chris and I started recording today, we were talking about, you know, blogging, for example. I think it's really important to take into account the willingness and the motivation people have to participate in this process. Just because you see another organization that has done something well, uh, I think, for example, uh, Dr. Justin Smith, it was on a couple of weeks ago. You know, he has a role within Cook Children's. And if you, if you missed that, I believe it was episode 19 where he talks about you know his involvement in the marketing department there at Cook Children's. Would well, be really easy to listen to that and go, you know what? We need to go find, we need to go find a physician, get him involved in marketing. It's like, well, maybe, but you know, we need to find somebody that wants to do that. Let's not go convince somebody. Uh, we've got to find the right person uh, to get involved, and um, you know, ultimately, that will lead to you know more adoption. Because one thing I have learned, not to just, I don't want to make this about blogging, but it's an easy one to to pull out. Everybody, you know, everybody can write a blog post. Not very many people can write twelve, and so that becomes some of the problem when you start talking about content. Is I understand where we're starting, but where are we trying to end up? Yeah, but let's go even a little bit higher than that, Reed. I mean, you know, when you think about it, you, we, we, we agreed, right? Your overall brand, your message can, can ultimately kind of set the context, the, the tone, the theme across all the content that we're creating to those various stakeholders we talked about. But, I mean, how many of these, these dozen or so people that we rattled off, in the, you know, just a few minutes ago, actually understand sort of how to write in that tone, in that theme, in that voice, let alone have consistent messaging. You know, I think that they may develop their siloed messaging, like what they're trying to reach out to to do. But when we look at a unified content strategy, does that mean we have to create like this overarching brand message 
that'll be applicable and applicable to everybody, to every one of these audiences. Is that something that you've seen before in other organizations? Yes. I mean, maybe yes and yes. I think the idea of a, of a unified content strategy is that, you know, everybody's rowing in the same direction, right? Like we talked about. I understand the need to want to, you know, filter that all back through communications or whoever kind of the message owner is or the, uh, the, 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 the voice of the organization. Um, I do think you lose probably some personality at that point. You know, you lose the ability for uh, this person to be who they are. And, you know, probably less people can then resonate with that because everything starts sounding and looking the same. So while you want everything to sound and look the same, you don't want everything to sound and look the same. I agree with you 100% on that, right? The more you put in sort of a systematic process and a framework and all that, what we tend to do is is make it so that it basically sterilizes the content. It makes it, makes it gives it non-life. Um, I've heard it all in a negative way referred to as death by a thousand cuts. You know, the right. more we say, oh, well, you know, it, what, what happens is, is it, it really starts to lose the impact of that. So when organizations start to look at developing a unified content approach, they have to be very cognizant that while you do set these overarching, you know, brand tone voice kind of considerations, and even maybe developing messaging for your particular audiences, that you have to have still that, that individuality that shines through. And that particularly is true, you know, because in healthcare, it's a very personal experience. We don't want to come off as seem, seeming like we're sterile and that there's no one behind the big wall of you know content that we create. We want to give that personnel voice because that's a very personal decision or an, it impacts people in a very personal way. You know, I think that there's a lot of implications here, though. We talked about brand tone and voice and like and, and defining that. I, there's a lot of great examples of organizations that have developed guidelines around the unified content messaging. Not many of them are published at publicly, but those that do tend to tend to be more like, you know, the Coca-Cola's and the FedEx does a really good job of it, where, you know, it's a very consistent corporate brand that looks the same all over the world. But what are some other implications of looking at a unified content strategy? Uh, there's lots of them, but I think one obviously is um, staffing. So understanding uh, that some somebody does have to own this at some point. That doesn't mean somebody has to write everything or edit everything or whatever. But much like you have a branding and style guide for the organization, um, and then somebody owns that, somebody owns the brand. Uh, it's typically in kind of the marketing uh, department, uh, communications department maybe, uh, but, but a staffing piece. So from a content standpoint, you know, it's almost running like traffic control or what's going where, who's doing what, um, how are we training and making sure people are staying on message yet giving them enough flexibility that they still feel uh, motivated and have the ownership over what it is that they're doing. Sounds a lot like brand police. Exactly. And there's a negative connotation to that mm-hmm. in that you have someone that's kind of looking over your shoulder. But I think that that is important that you do have someone that's out there. Maybe Maybe they're not necessarily like, uh, obviously, in some cases, you have to be an enforcer, right? You can't, on social media, you can't say certain things. If that goes up, you have to have someone take it down, you know, those sorts of things. But maybe that the staff could become more advisors, right? They could become more of facilitators helping these people that maybe maybe there are some physicians out there that want to create great, great, great content, 
but they just have a lousy way to present themselves. These content experts could be more advisors to them and help them. Yeah, I think so. I, what I've tried to advocate for, and, and I think you know, every organization is different. You've got to make this fit within your culture. But I, I think to this point that you have the staffing component here is you've got to have somebody that can go find these content creators. Then you've got to have, you know, that person's got to be able to determine what it is that these people are good at. Um, so some people like to write. Uh, some people like to talk. Some people like to be on camera. Some people don't like to be on camera. And then what are they good at talking about? So where is their expertise? Now, if it's a physician, sometimes that's a little bit easier because it's their specialty. But as you start looking at other staff around the organization, uh, that may not be quite as apparent. Or if you've got a number of them, you know, so like you've got a whole bunch of occupational therapists, you know, who's going to talk about what and how many of these people. You've got somebody to kind of figure all of that out and what that looks like. And then to help with the planning. A lot of times you get people that want to help, but it's like, yeah, yeah, let me know when you need something and, you know, I can probably put it together or maybe already have it. But they're busy seeing patients or, you know, providing care, clinical care of some sort. And so, you know, trying to help them. And so, again, you're you're putting those things together. You're, you're kind of organizing and guiding the organization as it relates to, you know, how we create content. So that's kind of how I think about staffing and what that person would do. I would agree with you on that. So another thing, too, is once you start to develop that content, then you have to you have to be able to think about how do you optimize it for that audience and how do you optimize it for that channel? What a good blog post and how do you translate that for, let's say, the, the patient audience as opposed to the physician audience? And how do you optimize it for your website as opposed to Twitter as opposed to etc.? I mean, there's a lot of implications there too that are a lot of delicacies that you kind of have to manage with that. And just staying staying abreast of you know those best practices, you know, as new features come around like Facebook Live or or live type things like Periscope or whatever it may be, what do you do with those? Where's a good place to start? Who would I go tap to be the subject matter expert on the first thing that I want to do? You know, how do we want to roll this out? How do I plan and sell this to the organization as an idea? Again optimizing for certain channels and then audiences of course right mm -hmm. who if this might be a good audience for let's say regulatory so who would the person be that we can run this by to make sure that we're messaging it the right way or, or what have you right if that comes into play yeah or even how do we alter content for the audience and so for example maybe it's uh, back to school physicals immunization sports physicals or you know heart screenings or whatever it is you're probably going to have one message uh, for employees, one for employers, one for the general public. So how do you how do you version that to speak to those particular audiences versus just saying kind of the same generic thing to all of them? So these are things that you know you have to keep in mind as you're looking at at developing this. The other thing that's kind of related to this, Reed, is like how do you refresh that content? Okay, well the last time we wrote something about our sleep apnea lab because it's not important to us was three years ago. Do we need to go back and refresh that? What kind of regulations are you putting in place? Are you, do you have like an automatic trigger that your content is reviewed and looked at and updated? I know with social media, it's a little bit easier because it's constantly going. But your website, I mean, how oftentimes have we come across these dark and dusty parts of our website that we've never even looked at for years, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, blogging is another good example of that or maybe video content on YouTube. 
you created something at a point in time and it's still very searchable and findable and much like your website content is out there. Um, and so you think about those things to hit the calendar at the same time every year. Um, so here in Texas, um, for example, the summer is a big time where people are, are at the lake, obviously swimming pools and things like that. So water safety becomes a big topic. You see a lot of, uh, you know, we'll hear from, you know, child life specialists or whoever at the hospitals that, hey, we're seeing a lot of potential drowning, you know, type stuff come through the ER. We need to push out more content, more messaging, more education. Well, that's great. That's great feedback. We did that last year too, though. Is that, are we, are we refreshing that? Has it changed? How do, you know, how do we repurpose that and or create new content? Because it is a very real need yet. How do we not just say the same thing every year? Something also that you don't face a lot in Texas, but you know, for those those hospitals that do employ physicians, what if that physician leaves? I I can't tell you how many times I've had the fire drill mm. of like Dr. Smith has left. We need to remove all the content that he's created on our website, <laughs> yeah. and then you yeah. have to like, oh wait, well okay, let's go. You know, it's like, yeah. and 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 unless you have the tools and systems in place, which we'll talk about some of the tools in a second here. But that becomes a consideration too, right? So that you have to refresh, maybe retire some content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of those, all of those things become another thing that kind of make the process a little bit more complicated. And then, lastly, how are we going to measure that this content is actually working? What's the ROI? Um, that's coming up more and more often. You yeah. know, organizations that are investing all this time in creating new content. Well, what's the return? What are they going to see? How are they going to be able to measure the success? of this effort. Yeah. And you certainly better ask those questions before you get started. Otherwise it's going to be really hard to report out how successful something has been or what the effect of something has been. If you did not know where you were headed before you started, I always ask that question. If we do this and it is successful one year from now, this would have happened as long as you can get everybody to buy in or whatever the time frame is, but as long as you get everybody to buy into what that is, you know, then you shouldn't have a trouble going back and proving that what we did was successful because we met this goal. You know, now that may be a financial, uh, like true ROI, like an actual ROI. Uh, it could be, uh, more from an engagement standpoint. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you have to kind of go through and ask it and figure out what that is. And the goal may simply be, this is a um, physician relations strategy and we want more physicians involved, quote unquote. You know, okay, well, I mean, if that's the goal, let's just make sure everybody's on the same page before we get started. Maybe we could talk about some tools that are, that organizations are using nowadays to kind of manage this bigger content piece, right? Um, I think one of the first ones is content management systems, websites. They tend to be where a lot of people say, well, that carries a lot of our content that we're putting out there is our website. And, and I'm pleased to, you know, to say that you know, it's becoming more and more of it, it has to be on the website as well as be out there in, in other avenues or other channels. And so people are kind of thinking the web is the first place to go. A content management system, by definition, is a system that manages content. Right. (laughs) Right. So theoretically, like this is where you would start. And maybe you've got a CMS that runs your websites and we're talking about content. So that obviously includes that. But maybe maybe you do have a different CMS. Maybe you're using WordPress for your blog or you're using, you know, using YouTube to host all of your videos or whatever it may be. Having that CMS and understanding that structure. Now, obviously, the fewer logins you can have, the better. And what I mean by that is, is the fewer places you have to go figure out 
um, that is sourcing content uh, is better. Um, and so I know early on we talked about like the headless CMS or enterprise or multi-site CMS installs. Uh, we you know had a whole podcast on Cope, you know, create once, publish everywhere. Uh, and so those types of things where you know you've got a piece of software in place that you can create and it owns you know it is the source of truth for that piece of content and then then you're you're allowed to then place that content or disseminate that content in a number of places uh, is great because the, then when you do get that call about Dr. Smith and we need to either take this down and or disassociate it or take his name off or whatever you know you're only you don't have to remember everywhere that went or where you put it the other thing that I'm hearing a lot about and a lot of organizations are starting to look at and invest in are digital asset management tools now, if you think about mm-hmm. digital asset management tools, it's like it's like the centralized library of all of the content that's maybe used on the back end. And think of that as like another system or a layer that is, uh, you know, behind even the CMS. It's just an internal access tool. Well, when I say internal, it could be cloud-based. Really what a digital asset management tool is, is the ability for, for organizations to have a place, a repository where they're storing a lot of things, video content, they're storing maybe uh, even even ad designs and different versions of those, right? Sure. Raw video sure. footage and, and, and new stock photography, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, a good example of that, and I know there's many out there, but I've got some experience with one called Brand Folder, and uh, it's a digital asset management uh, platform. And most people get started with that because there's so many logos floating around. It's like, look, you know, we got to get this reined in. And then, you know, maybe they do a brand photo shoot or they produce some uh, some content of some sort, like you mentioned, you know, videos or, or photography or whatever. You start looking at some of those and there's all kinds of really interesting integrations. So like it offers an integration to uh, Adobe, to the creative suite. So you can put in there your color palette for example, um, as well as logos and pictures and all these things. And then as you start having people participate in your brand, i.e. you hire a designer to do something, they can tie directly in that you know they have all the correct assets, the right colors, the right logos, those types of things. Digital asset management has come into organizations a lot through like branding, that kind of that consistent, like you have the brand website where you have all the, the templates of your PowerPoints and your and your Word documents, you know, and all of that mm-hmm. stuff that comes through that. And we're also seeing more of those also connected and tied to other things. So um, a lot of the digital asset management tools now are starting to connect to uh, doing direct publishing on the web through, like, social channels, through right. YouTube and, you know, things like that. Or they're going to the local print house. Even uh, CRMs are starting to now connect into digital asset management tools. So now you can yep. create your direct mail and your email, so to speak, through that. Don't think of a digital asset management tool, though, as like a thing to execute on content. It basically is just where it holds the content and sends sure. it out to the execution systems, right? Yeah, and you're starting to see some of those hybrids, like Percolate is one where it's got the, kind of the marketing calendar in it, but it also handles all the assets. But to your point, you're not really going to publish out of that platform necessarily, you know, now I think we'll start seeing more of that as people, you know, they realize like, hey, we've got a bunch of this stuff and we might as well build this other feature to our existing platform. I don't have any doubt, you know, we'll see some of those types of things. But yeah. So some other tools, social media management tools like you yes. know, the Hootsuites or the sprinklers or the 
you know, all the different tools. That yep. are out Sprout, there. spread fast, even the, even the free stuff like tweet deck, you know, is still used to some degree and, uh, some of them are freemium. So there's a, there's a free piece. And if you have so many accounts, you have to pay and some of it's based on reporting or whatever, but those, those are great. It allows you to, you know, uh, schedule and calendar. Some of them are, um, oh, you know, more based off of a calendaring system where you can schedule things out and it will push them out to those platforms. Some of them are more from a monitoring standpoint. Um, so again, see what works for you uh, based on the other tools that you have and, and things like that. Okay. So Reed, we have a good interview coming up. Yes. With about tips. Somebody that, somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, absolutely. But um, if you had one tip or, or one thing that you want to give people and kind of inspirational um, so that they don't walk away going, I, we can't do this and, and give up and quit their jobs, what would you tell them? Uh, I would say that content comes in many forms and fashions. And so don't don't get siloed or don't get, uh, um, you know, get your blinders on looking for someone who can write something. You know, uh, we've seen a lot of really great content creators uh, that fall into some of these weird categories like uh, they're a really good artist. You know, so how do you take advantage of somebody that uh, is a very accomplished uh, oil painter, sculptor, draw, you know, I, I don't know, whatever it may be. You know, how can you use them uh, to create content that's a little bit different than what everybody else is doing? And again, that that goes back and supports that idea of finding people that want to do something and, and have an idea. So uh, take inventory of those uh, of those unique skills around the organization. Touch point. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight. All right. Here we are in the touch point, touch counterpoint part of the podcast. Reed, I am so glad um, we brought this back. I kind of missed it last week. Yeah, I know. We, uh, we didn't get to recommend any sort of frivolous thing at the end of the podcast, nor did we get to argue. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to arguing with you every week, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. It's the highlight <laughs> of my week. Well, you know, because we're on the topic of unified content strategy. I was I, I actually came up with uh, an idea that we probably could kind of battle on, um, and it's not related to necessarily centralizing content across the enterprise. I think that's a little bit hard to do, but um, I I have seen some organizations that have been considering centralizing their content team for all of marketing communications, kind of pulling the content development into its own separate content team. Like you have a web team and you have a content team. And you have, you know, uh, your marketing team as separate people and your, your PR and your, your media people, but all content creation coming from a centralized content team. So the argument on the table as it is today is should organizations create a centralized marketing communications content team responsible for all of the external content creation? What a wonderful idea. I'm in favor that would be amazing. I mean, who, who's, who's, who's better? I mean, who's better to put all that together and lead that and have a consistent, consistent voice. But Reed, let's start right away with one of the, the biggest objections that, um, that's out there. 
you know, people that write content for the website are a lot different than people that write press releases. How could you put all of those people under the same ab- uh, the same area? I don't think that makes sense. What are you going to have someone that writes, you know, Facebook updates turn around and write a, a press brief? Yes, of course. I mean, if you have a team, there's a team, right? So you got some people that maybe come from a marketing background, some that maybe come from a communications background. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, I'm just thinking about it from a project manager standpoint, which is, you know, when building a website or whatever it is that you're doing, I mean, it's almost impossible to have somebody really own that content piece. In this way, there would be no... Uh, there'd be no issues with like, where's, who's doing the content, who's rewriting the content, where's the content come from, you know, et cetera. Well, I think theoretically, if you're living on in utopia, that would work. But in the real life of this, uh, real life, it doesn't actually work that way. You have to have people that are responsive. Your content team has to be responsive to create content that can meet multiple different audiences. I don't see how you can team that, you know, um, staff up a team like that uh, without like getting 100, 200 people in that room. You got to have some people that focus on this audience, physicians versus consumers versus patients versus, you know, regulatory. I don't understand how that could all work. 100 to 200 people. Good night. No, 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 no. I mean, I think you could do this with a half dozen folks that are good. So, I mean, you've got some people with certain expertise and plus they're the ones that end up just going out and interviewing these folks anyway. Right. So you don't have to be the subject matter expert. You just have to you know, be on this team and understand what all is going on. That may even make things easier on the subject matter experts. You know, they just they just get interviewed for, you know, all practical purposes. Wait, what are you are you proposing that this content centralized content team is just made up of people that interview people? I mean, what is it could this? be? I mean, it, it could that could be part of it. I'm not saying they they only interview people, but you can't you can't expect you know them to be subject matters and everything. Just like you can't expect you know other content creators to you know know much past you know their lane. So you have somebody that operationally you know you got a team working together, and if they need to pull people in, just like you would for earned media or anything else. Um, they could do that. You know, Reed, I worked for a 20 hospital health system when I was in New York. And I'm telling you that each hospital, when they were creating their own content, are you expecting a centralized team to create content that's unique to each one of these different places? I mean, that seems like it's ridiculous. You need to at least centralize, or, or not centralize, but distribute your content creators in all the hospitals. And now you're talking about a distributed workforce, and that sounds like a big headache. I think that focus is too much on where people are physically sitting. Well, I, I, what, I guess the argument there is, though, you don't understand like the content needs of a particular hospital that can serve that particular community that may be in a different state, may be in a different place. I mean, if you're talking about like a, a larger enterprise system, having a centralized content team is just a little bit too – it pulls the, the writers too far out of it, and they just, they just become interviewers – you're not going to get that good, robust content. Yeah, but you're not getting it now. So put up, put them in a central place, gain some efficiencies, and let's get some stuff out the door. <laughs> well, okay, we'll get some stuff out the door, but through what channel? That's the other thing that you have to deal with. I mean, are these all these people going to have to be also SEO experts? Are they also, also going to have to know how to write social media? I mean, again, I think that what you're talking about is 
you know, potentially creating a team of not six people, but maybe 60 people that can actually address all your content needs for all your different audiences and different channels. I don't think so. Like, I don't even know an organization that has 60 people in their marketing communications department. Well, that's the point. I mean, this that could be really challenging. I mean, how could you, it's so hard to separate content from the actual strategy too, that it becomes a little bit hard for, you know, organizations to actually see how that happens. No, I, I still think you bring the team together and it's a team. So maybe there, are, maybe there is an SEO expert on there. Um, but that also doesn't mean the SEO expert does not also know, you know, some of the tools or trades or, you know, even content matter for the, you know, again, you pull a team together. Uh, I think they're able to uh, create and or uh, well, ultimately create, and so maybe that's through some interviews, but they're able to create the content in a centralized fashion much more succinctly than, you know, because otherwise who owns it? And everybody's running around trying to get stuff from everybody all over the place. And that didn't work. I think I'm going to have to wave the white flag here and say that I, it's hard for me to argue that. Maybe we're going to have to call the uh, argument over. I do think it does have to be some sort of a hub and spoke. Like you, you've got to have boots on the ground, you know, in the organization or in the hospitals to be opportunistic. You, you have a balloon release for like a NICU reunion or something. Well, somebody forgets to tell somebody and you've missed that opportunity. So um, I do think there's an advantage of having people there. But I do think there's an efficiency of having people working as a team, um, you know, more centralized, whether that's, you know, literally centralized or, you know, they just work together closely. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I think that, um, I, I, I mean, obviously you're going to have people that have expertise around writing press releases, people that are really good at writing for social channels, that sort of thing. You're going to have to have that capability. You're also going to have to have people on, on that team that do have a good understanding of, of generally how that audience looks like. But again, they're not going to be police. They're not going to be the only people creating content. They probably will partner with people. Like you mentioned interviews. I think more, I think of it more like a partnership, so to speak with uh, the subject matter experts across the organization. And, um, but having that unity of team uh, to be able to share, to be able to also understand maybe they find some lost opportunities in the content that they created. And in generally, it gives them more structure and it helps to move towards that unified content approach. All right, welcome back to the section of the podcast where we interview an expert on the topic of today's podcast. And uh, today's topic, as you all know, is around aligning your content and developing sort of like a unified content approach. And when I, when we were discussing this, Reed and I, I thought of someone that I have been working with for, oh gosh, I don't know, it must be over eight or nine years now that we've been working together, that is sort of an expert at this, uh, at helping organizations and hospitals particularly align their content. And that is my good friend, Lauren. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Nice to be here. Lauren, um, I've known you for a while, but many of our listeners may not have. Do you want to give a brief introduction as to who you are? Sure. I'm Lauren Blindy. I'm a healthcare copywriter based here in Washington, D.C. I started my career in academia. I spent uh, over a decade teaching writing and 
as a, a professor, professor in English and writing departments. I also worked uh, full-time as a grant writer uh, before jumping into uh, healthcare copywriting in particular in 2008. And when you say healthcare copywriting, that's how you and I started to get to know each other. We worked together at a hospital when I was in D.C. But tell us a little bit about some of the work that you're doing with hospitals right now around their content. I do a lot of digital work uh, from the website to blog posts and social. Uh, and more and more, we talk about kind of strategic issues. And the, the departments I work with vary from traditional marketing and communications uh, to an organization, the Hospital or Health Systems Associated Foundation, uh, and also with uh, quality safety and patient experience departments, uh, and sometimes also with, you know, kind of grant and, and uh, government relations offices as well. Well, I think that experience is uh makes you a perfect candidate for the, the topic that we're going to have at hand. And I want to just roll up our sleeves and get into it, Lauren, because that has been, I would say it would be a bit of a challenge uh, at hospitals and health systems is that oftentimes from a communications or from a written perspective, content perspective, maybe um, marketing communications, foundation development, and even the quality safety uh, areas, they're all speaking in different voices. Would you agree? I do. I think there's a pretty sharp distinction between marketing communications, an organization's foundation, and its quality, safety, and patient experience. So why do you think this happens? Why, why is this going on? Why, is this typical of most organizations? I see it a lot with the clients I work with, and I think there are several good reasons why this happens. Three to keep in mind when you're talking about content are uh, number one, of course, the structural divisions within the organization. These are different departments most of the time, and they're not sharing uh, information and resources. They each have their uh, areas, and they're siloed off in those areas uh, because they're busy enough working on, on their own uh, initiatives. Two other reasons I would say is that uh, the, the three have a different focus in terms of the timeline that they concentrate on. An organization's foundation might be thinking in terms of the next decade that the gifts that they're soliciting, that they're developing, are going to transform the organization in kind of a big vision sense over a long period of time. In contrast to that, quality and safety departments have to look both backward and forward. They're looking at the last quarter, the last year of data. They're analyzing that data, trying to account uh, for the factors that may have contributed to success so they can replicate it, or uh, if they're not hitting, not hitting their marks, certainly trying to figure out what's going wrong and how to address it. And so while they, of course, look forward uh, as well, there's a certain sense in which uh, the quality and safety departments are always analyzing the most, you know, recent data of the recent past. And marketing communications probably in that paradigm would fit somewhere in the middle where they certainly have a strategic plan or, you know, one would hope, but at the same time, on a day-to-day -day basis, they're focused on executing that year, that quarter, the initiatives that they're, that they've committed to, that they're working on. When you're a person that's a recipient of these different messages, is that hard for people to, I mean, to differentiate between those? I think that is certainly the case, and I think the fault probably 
lie if there is you know if there is a fault it lies in the you know, differing mindsets that these three uh, portions of the organization have and I think that'd be the third big reason uh, that this happens is that the development office and the quality office don't think of what uh, they do as marketing and there may be you know even a sense of um, that it might be inappropriate to to incorporate marketing messaging or marketing uh, initiatives into what they do. Why do you feel that organizations should start to align the way they're communicating? Particularly around quality and safety, there's a certain squeamishness, a reluctance to talk about uh, what's really going on in a hospital in a public and meaningful way. You may be internally the the teams, you know, on the frontline staff may be super excited that they uh, improved hand hygiene rates from, you know, 25% to 75% uh, in a single year through all of these, all of this energy and initiative. Um, but when you, if you're talking to, you know, kind of pr- prospective patients of that hospital, you're saying, wait a second, 25% hand hygiene compliance, and now it's 75%, and, and we're excited about this. So there's a certain, um, I mean, what I would say is that the, the stories of quality and safety need need the kind of messaging that, that a, the marketing department can bring to really bridge that gap. But you can see why mm-hmm. you maybe don't, that's not really the first place that marketing is thinking of going for its uh, stories. Um, right. But I, I do think it's a problem. And uh, I think there are a few few reasons why it's a problem. Um, the most important, I think, is to realize that regardless uh, of how the marketing communications department is engaging with these other departments, each of them is telling uh, an important series of stories about your organization uh, with regard to quality, safety, and patient experience, the data is publicly available. It's out there for consumers to find, and there you run the risk of letting the narrative be told without you if you don't engage with it yourself. Um, I also think that there's a real um, opportunity for organizations to get to a message that is authentic and that is cohesive and that is unique to your organization. Uh, one thing that a challenge that I run into with with my clients is that there is a lot of overlap. Whatever the reality of the organization is, mm-hmm. there's a certain um, desire to talk about uh, organizations in the same way. So, uh, you know, all of the health systems are you know, community focused and excellent. You know, and, uh, mm-hmm. So there's a real opportunity to discover uh, some uh, concrete things that make your organization unique and really to have a, a, a differentiation that's authentic and that is compelling. So what are some ways that you think that organizations can start to you know, move down this path, to start to align their content in, in a consistent way? The first step is to communicate with these, other, you know, with leadership in these other uh, departments. And by communicate, I really mean listen, uh, because there's a lot to learn. There's so much 
uh, so much of what a hospital does day to day and the innovations that we love to talk about in marketing um, really come down to uh, you know, this continuous improvement and all of these kind of trial and error initiatives that are unique to a specific organization because every hospital is different in, in things like, you know, physical structure and it's, it's you know, set up just even on a facility level. And then secondly, assess where your messages already overlap and take advantage of that as well as where your messages are possibly undercutting each other and figure out how to address that. Um, so there are examples that could strengthen things that the marketing department might already be talking about. There might be quality and safety initiatives that are proving very successful uh, that can uh, bolster and give depth to, you know, something like a, a marketing initiative that is maybe highlighting you know, recent quality awards, getting to those stories and all of the blood, sweat, and tears that go into coming up with those initiatives and those improvements uh, can really give, give people a, a clearer picture of the amazing things that really are going on in your organization on a daily basis in a way that's unique to your hospital or health system. As on the foundation side, there is uh, an opportunity to explore the existing alignment between your foundation and your marketing department's uh, use of the, the big brand, the organization's brand, the organization's vision, and how those two things are used. There should be, I mean, hopefully there is a lot of alignment already, but there are usually uh, significant differences as well. I think the goal here is to create content that aligns with your your brand promise, with your your overall messaging, and and is it's consistent and unique to the organization, but also can help to engage with others. I hear a lot that that marketers, communicators are the, are the best storytellers at hospitals. Do you find that to be the case? There is a lot. I think there's an untapped gold mine, really in kind of quality, safety, and patient experience because they there are um, there's a lot of documentation and a lot of uh, reporting that is going on. Uh, so there can be uh, some really good examples. I mean, there may be, um, you know, I've seen examples where the quality team uh, conducts, you know, yearly awards and, and calls out, you know, these initiatives that are, have been particularly impactful and that it's, you know, kind of a big deal among the, uh, the different departments within the hospital or, or health system that they submit their stories. And all of that could be helpful content, particularly the winners. Uh, so things like that, uh, sometimes, you know, the marketing department may not even be aware that those things exist. And that's really a way to lift up and celebrate things that have um, a happy ending. Uh, I also think that there are ways that uh, these other departments can enrich the stories that you're already telling. So taking another emergency room kind of driven example of uh, you, maybe you have a primary stroke center that is uh, certified and is able to uh, use TPA to, you know, the, the magical clot busting drug. And it's a really popular narrative, right? That that you can use TPA to dissolve and, and reverse strokes if, you know, if, if folks get there early enough. 
Um, but there is so much more beneath the tip of that iceberg uh, that, and that which really resides in, in quality and safety about the stories of teamwork and coordination and drilling and commitment because there are so many ways that, uh, that TPA can go wrong in terms of there's so many uh, ways people can be disqualified from, from needing, uh, from, from being able to receive TPA. There's a lot more to that story that, that can really uh, help shine a light on your organization and, what, and the likelihood is that it's unique or it's, un, you know, it's, it's specific. It's, you know, the, what they're doing is specific to that organization. Sure, sure. And I could see that, like, uh, that example that you just gave uh, has an application across multiple different audiences, too. Um, and so that's, there's a really good opportunity to leverage content like that to not only address maybe the community, um, but other stakeholders that are associated with it, you know, employees, uh, physicians, nursing staff, that sort of thing. Organizations that take the lead in aligning content across all of these departments will have uh, an advantage over the, over the long term. Well, Lauren, this has been a very interesting conversation, and clearly you um, you have a lot of expertise working with organizations around this. If our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, what's the best way they can uh, reach out to you online? I am on LinkedIn, uh, L-O-R-E-N-B-L-I-N-D-E, and then you can also feel free to send me an email. It's Lauren, L-O-R-E-N, at writingpower.net, and that's where I live online. My website is writingpower.net. Cool. Well, thank you so much for all your information and your insights. It's been very interesting. And uh, I think you you gave some really great uh, examples and and, uh, approaches that a lot of organizations and our listeners would really find value from. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. And here we are at the end of episode 21. Um, special thank you to Laura Blendy for her wonderful interview and recommendations and tips and all that kind of good stuff around unified content. Uh, again, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, whatever it may be, hit us up on Twitter, LinkedIn, however you, however you can track us down. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, also, as a quick favor, if you could make your way over to iTunes. Uh, we would love that. And while you're there subscribing to the podcast, if you would rate and review the podcast, uh, and please tell a friend, help us uh, grow the audience. That would be much appreciated. We are wrapping it up and like always have a recommendation or two. And Chris, I will let you start. What do you, what do you have this week? Well, Reed, it's summertime and you know what summertime means? Summertime means riding around with the cars, windows down. Maybe you got your AC cranked at the same time. Or maybe you're riding on the boat on the lake or down there in Texas. I guess you ride the boat in the Gulf, right? And you're listening to some good yacht rock music. See, what's better than listening to some Kenny Loggins, maybe some Doobie Brothers. Doobie Brothers is hard to beat. Maybe some Seals and Croft, windows down, the sun's out. It's nine o'clock at night. It's summertime. literally, literally listen to the music. Listening to the music. See that? See what I did there with the Doobie Brothers? 
Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. But anyway, the point is here, Reed, is that, you know, um, I'm a big fan of that soft, easy rock listening of the 70s. What's even better, Reed, is I listen to Sirius Radio in my car, and they have a Yacht Rock station now. That's nice. I listen to. And now I just found out today that you can get Sirius Radio through your Alexa device. So, I mean, coming full circle, going from the 70s, a little Seals and Croft, a little America, a little, you know, Chicago, you know, now you can listen to it while you're in your office working air conditioned. You can get that cool Yacht Rock sound. I'm going. I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction with my recommendation. Um, doesn't have anything to do with healthcare or technology. A little bit more tactile. Um, I wear a lot of hats, and and not just at work. Man, that is cheesy. Um, so, uh, but I'm recommending an actual hat that you put on your head. And so I'm not, not a particular, I'm a big sports guy, so I'm not, but I'm not going to recommend a certain team, although I can, I can weigh in if you'd like for me to. Um, but everybody needs a good fitted hat. I recommend a good fitted hat. Don't, you know, the adjustable and the trucker hat and all that, that's fine or whatever, but get, get a nice like baseball fitted hat, you know, go. Go to a store that sells all the fitted hats of all the major league teams. Find you one that looks good and uh, and go with that. But um, make sure it's the new era 5950. So that's the one they wear on the field. So it's like the official you know, team hat. Um, now, if you, if you want to get really advanced, you can probably still find a few of these, and you could certainly probably order it online still. They make a, a little bit of a different version for spring training every year. It's a little more vented, you know, because it's spring training, it's hot outside, that kind of thing. And, and it has uh, usually an alternate logo on it, so those are kind of fun as well. Uh, I've got an Oakland A's one that has the elephant on the front. Uh, but anyway, New, new Era 5950. Excellent. And if anybody, if anybody just feels the need to send me one because they would like for me to wear or rep their team, uh, I wear a seven and three eights. So there you go. <laughs> nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Reed. So Great that's uh, yeah, yeah, something a little bit different. Something a little bit different. Um, awesome. Well, here we are, end of twenty one, end of twenty one. Uh, one of my one of my favorite numbers. One of my That's favorite right. Numbers. I mean, so we can drink now, right? Yeah, something like that. Something okay, like well, that. Cheers. So. Uh, very good. Very good. Well, uh, he is Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. Uh, we had a blast, and we will see you again next week and uh, catch us online. Bye.